Hey everyone, welcome to Rose City Politics. It is February the 3rd. We've got a full panel today. Doug Sartori, Don Merrifield Jr., Fraser Fathers, Kristen Siapas, and myself, John Lidke. Because we are all here, it means that none of us are at our jobs and taking care of the things that we have to be doing. So head to patreon.com slash rosecitypolitics and give us your money or someone else's money. It'll help make these full panels possible moving ahead in the future. We're also in BizX Magazine, and you should read that, and Rose City Politics is able to broadcast live on tape thanks to the kind support of Leona 625, Building Better Communities. This is like a, this is a, a shit show of an episode because it's a shit show of a city this week. Set the bar high, John, set the I'm, bar high. I mean, we just started. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> it's it's, turn out I good. just want to explain like why it might seem like we're all over the place with mm. this one, because there's no real cohesive Dude, never explain. Act like yeah. we planned it. Well, okay. Well, here, Doug, put it back 30 seconds. Okay, I did. This is okay, like and we're back. <laughs> that, was, that was fun. It was a fun Great cut. cut. Okay, well, I guess we're going to start things off with the 2024 budget. We know that Windsor has finalized it now without any vetoes from Mayor Dilkins, coming in at 3.91% property tax increase, a $1.9 billion 10-year capital budget with $569 million for roads this year, $471 million for sewers, and $183 million for parks and recreation. $2.07 billion spent on capital investments. There's a 3.2% increase to the Windsor Police Service. That's up over $100 million now at 102. Last six Windsor EMS receives 14.6% more, up to $15 million. And the Windsor Essex Community Housing Corp gets a 13.5% increase to $17.7 million. Also, the Jackson Park Banshell study was approved albeit at 120000 not 300000 Were you already laughing at that one, Don, or was that just a throat clear? <laughs> yeah, that and the fact that we're giving $102 million extra to the police service and only $17 million to housing kind of just sets the tone that's for extra, the Windsor. That's not extra. That's their total budget. Oh, that's their total? All right. I thought one hundred and two sounded I don't know, Don. Like... 3.2% increase is like, that's that's what passes for restraint on the police budget around no, these parts, I was right? just I was just like comparing it to housing, and I mm. thought, well, you know. That's an increase for housing, though, right? So Yeah, so now the it's like 17.6. The percentage increase is higher. I'm glad I've just thrown the show right off the rails right <laughs> at the start. I thought we were pretending like it was all planned. All I did was clear my throat, and apparently it all went to hell in a handbasket. There were also some amendments at the budget which were approved, um, including not to extend parking meter enforcement by three hours to 9 p.m. We lost out in potentially about $600,000 a year in potential revenue there. Um, we killed the free COVID parking program, which I found out about like last week or the week before that <laughs> I'm it still existed. I'm literally finding out about it right now. There's a free COVID parking um, program. It was a great scam, Don, and now it's over. <laughs> but <laughs> may, yeah, so that's disappointing. Um, they extended the free drop-in uh, summer program at Mitchell Park. User fees have gone up at Lakeview Marina by six percent over the next ten years. Fifty million on infrastructure for Lozon Parkway and County Road 42. Not not unexpected. 38.5 million to provincial and division improvements, 35.7 million for the Transit Windsor fleet replacement, and 25.3 million to civic esplanade improvements. And that includes 17 million to improve the Festival Plaza. We're gonna green it, put some shade features in, not the full canopy, which would have brought it to like 67 million, not the second option for half the canopy. So I think that we're gonna be buying some umbrellas for people and when it gets sunny, we'll hand them out and hopefully we're praying for a 
clouds. There's also $24 million heading to 80 Knox Herman Recreation Complex's reimagining. Um, you know, Mayor Dilkins has been describing this throughout the media over the past week as a very restrained budget. Um, he said, you know, there's, there's, no, uh, there's, there's no window dressings, I suppose, on it. I, I, or I forget the exact words that he was using. It's not, there's nothing really dressed up about it. It's as low as it could go. Um, what are our hot takes on it? Doug, you want to start? No. No, <laughs> no. Great. I've been. We've got some people on the show who haven't been on for a few weeks. Don, what's your take on the budget? Well, first of all, I'm upset. It's going to cost me six percent more to park my yacht down at Lakeview Marina, so that's pretty <laughs> upsetting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you compare it to the surrounding communities, uh, they're looking at much higher increases than this. Uh, it's not so much the increase; it's like always, it's priorities, and that's where I kind of uh, question Windsor's. Common sense, like the band shell. Okay, I'm going to piss off a lot of people, and my house is going to get burned down. But the band shell to me is the biggest waste of money on the planet. We're spending 120,000 as opposed to 300,000 to tell us that it's going to cost eight million dollars to fix something that no one's ever going to use. So, <gasps> hey, 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 Don is talking. <laughs> go ahead, Don. Sorry, I'm fine. <laughs> no, you're, clear you're throat. clearing your throat too. <clears throat> no, no, go ahead. Yeah, I think the band shell is stupid. So, knock yourself out. <laughs> Do I get it? Is yeah, it yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, so, so the band not stupid. Um, <laughs> I think the band great and why? has a lot why? of potential why? for use. Why? Why? Well, I mean, it's a, it's an amenity in Jackson Park. But we have the one used. right downtown yeah, at so the waterfront. It's not in Jackson Park. It doesn't have that historic <laughs> It's two miles it. away. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> oh, miles away. It's not in the same location at all. all right. And we don't have a space. The arts community has very clearly, there, there isn't a space that we can use that is that size. It, it and has that, that, I mean, the, the historical element, the cultural element, the significance to the black community, that's all very important. I look at it from my perspective as well, additionally, as, as uh, somebody who produces and creates arts events in the city. That, and knowing what arts organizations are looking for, that's a space that is very valuable. It could be very well used throughout the year. Doesn't the school board own the property around it? Uh, school board owns the adjacent property yeah. and said that they would be open to talks and blah, blah, blah. So what blah, were the estimates? Up. Like, forget this bullshit, $300,000 or whatever it is. What are the actual estimates to fix they, that? Because they, they, they don't know. know. That's what it's for. But it's pretty much irreparable, so, isn't it? I, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know what... I look at the space and I My go... My only I point is, here, wouldn't sure. it be better to build another band shell in a park somewhere in Jackson Park? I mean, there would be a, a definitely an additional expense to that that would be higher than $120,000. Yeah, well, but, but 120000 is just to find out how many millions is it going to cost to fix it. It probably would be cheaper to just build a brand new Well, mansion. that's all I'm saying. Well, no. let me, if you don't mind, I, Kristen, I want to ask you about this. So um, the there's a big investment in the Esplanade um, right. that's, that's going to be a major venue. Um, do you, like from your perspective, from the, per, you, you know, from the perspective of someone in the arts community, do you think that... Um, is that what's most needed, a big venue, or, or you know, are smaller, more distributed venues a better deal for the arts community? To me, I think with the size of organizations we have in the community and the space that they're looking at, at creating work for, creating you know, presentations, musical presentations, theatrical presentations, whatever kind of live performance, we need something that is smaller. We need something that would be like this, this size is ideal, this size of audience, this space, um, you know, the size of the stage space. 
certainly like when you look at the Riverfront Festival Plaza, it's so far out of reach for any kind of small local group that it's it's to, it's pointless. Like for to, to consider that any small arts organization is going to use that space and activate a space like the Festival Plaza is laughable. Like it's it's a totally different vibe. It's it's like. Sure, big movies and whiff and all of that stuff, and they did a phenomenal job, and I absolutely loved it. And like some of the music festivals that come in, sure, 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 like those are huge. But some of the smaller arts organizations that we need in order to build the arts industry in Windsor, we, we need scaffolding for that. We need the in-between pieces that just don't exist. And so a, a venue of this size is valuable in that respect. I also think that its location is really specifically interesting because of where bright lights is situated it's it becomes sort of a year-round venue you know all the things that they were talking about doing with the riverfront festival plaza for for all of the reasons why that was such a great space to invest into for large events this is also a great space to invest in uh for smaller events and and has the added benefit of creating connections with the black community and with our history and then with with local arts organizations as well so i think there's a couple things here first of all first i don't and I think in the Global Mail did a story on this as well this week, right? There, Oliver Moore was down here. He did a story about the band shell as part of his coverage of Windsor. And it's really being framed. I th- the framing of the conversation around the band shell, I think, was summed up very well by Councillor Agostino at the very end of that. Do we want a performance venue or do we want a monument or some sort of acknowledgement of the history and legacy of that site in Jackson Park? Because those are two different things, right? A statue and some sort of like monument to the history of the Jackson Star Bandshell, which the current Bandshell is not the original Bandshell, um, you know, is one thing. And then I think that there's a, com- a much bigger conversation around is the performance venue needed there? The Esplanade Project has a mid-sized performance venue in the project that got funded this year. There is going to be a Bandshell in the Esplanade. So the question, assuming it moves forward as funded, all of those things. So there's, I think, a conversation around, you know, I agree with Kristen that smaller venues are needed across the city. You should, because she's about to throw something at (laughs) (laughs) But But I also think think the question is there is, if this is going to cost $10 million, would you rather see $10 million divided by, you know, put into the Arts and Heritage Fund? Or have another facility because this is how this city operates. Because you're going to invest, you're going to invest. Yeah, in which this one is it, Kristen? Choose right now, or else there's no funding at all. Choose one of your children. But this is this is how the city has operated in the arts space for a long time. Is that they fund the Capitol Theater every year, and that's the justification why they don't, you know, when the municipal benchmarking comes out, well, it doesn't count this capital funding that we spend money on. So the trap is there. And so we have to be careful, are you stepping into that trap by, do, by saying we want to save this as a performance facility versus like there's the whole history conversation and I recognize that could look like something very different or it could be a stage. But I think like there are conversations, there's a much bigger picture that's political that, that you know, <laughs> that we have to sort of figure I out. I show up one week a month. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, it, I, I think it is both. I want to go back to oh, yeah. something you said, like, is it, is it one or the other? I think that it, that it is both. It, it can be both. Like, it, I don't I, think I don't too, think, but. I, I don't think you have to say like, oh, well, what do you guys want? Do you want a museum or do you want a performance space? Like the performance space is the museum. The museum is the performance it's space because we're activating that space because we're, you know, maybe there's a plaque or something or like whatever, I don't know. But <laughs> but because it, it honors the legacy by carrying it forward in the yep. same way that like is, is oh, how am I going to say this? You know, is a, a streetcar in a glass garage 
a monument to transit or is it an investment in transit? Like, I think it's considered an investment. It, you know, it's 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 both. Like yeah. it's it, if we're gonna call it, you know, what it is. I, I think that that we have the opportunity to both. I also think that yes, this city absolutely does the the trade off of like like if we invest ten million dollars in the Jackson Park Bandshell, you know, are we do we really need a performance space at the Civic Esplanade? Yes, the answer is yes. We need both of those things because those are two different spaces. Those are two different. Um, spaces to activate and and uh, target audiences and, and uses of the space. Like it's it's like if we have bright lights in Jackson Park, would we need bright lights somewhere? We we have neighborhoods and BIAs and and uh, uh, different communities all over the city, and we can activate those spaces in different ways using different things. It doesn't mean that. But look at what you just did one, with bright lights. It's one. exactly what Fraser's framing is like. You can either have bright lights at Jackson Park, or we can have a conversation about yeah. moving it to downtown. But we can't do both. Yeah, well, in, the con- in the context of this budget, which is where we started, yeah, mm-hmm. and the leanness of this budget and the history of lean budgets going back, and we've all sort of commented about that graph, which shows sort of the gap, the savings in what taxes could have been versus what they are because of, you know, 15 now plus years of hold the line. You know, I think that's the danger of this, con- of like this conversation is that you're in- this conversation is being injected into a resource scarce environment. And the moment that an investment gets made, there is no long-term plan for how that space gets utilized. So it'd be like, yes, we will build a venue, but then it's solely on the arts community to activate that venue, and it's solely out of their own pocket that that venue has to be done because we just invested in this venue for you. And that's the trap, and that's the thing I would be cautious about if we're thinking about you know, moving forward in the Banshell. And I support the Banshell, but I think like until there's a broader shift in how the arts community and the arts funding is looked at in the city of Windsor, there's a there's a danger here where you're gonna get a Banshell and it's gonna be great, but then there's gonna be no funding to maintain it, there's gonna be no funding to put performances at it, there's gonna be no funding for arts groups to actually be, you know, build up their community because we just spent all this money on the Banshell. Well that's not true because I mean when you look at you look at arts culture heritage funding um, the grant, the grant funding that goes out every year, that goes to artists in the community mm-hmm. who are creating things that would go on performance here. And you look at some of the things that have been invested, like Bright Lights, because of its its proximity to Bright Lights. Mm-hmm. That the expansion of our yeah. entertainment Christmas carols that, at Bright Lights would be great. Well, I mean, and there already is entertainers, and there are you know there are things that happen during Bright Lights. This would I think dovetail really nicely in a way that if we are considering, are we is there a trade off? Are we you know giving up something? I think this this combines nicely with things that are already happening so we don't have to give anything up in that respect um i think it's such a small piece though like the fact that we're talking about the band shell in the context of like the larger budget oh, yeah. there's so many issues that i think that we we look at um where we're not we we have historically not invested in in the things that we need to invest in in this city and every year it's like leaner and leaner and leaner and and at what point do we as residents go what are we getting for this? Like you just keep cutting back and cutting back and cutting back. And I respect the need to keep taxes low in in the consideration of inflation and everything. But I'm just, I, I'm so sick of looking at the things that we could have had that we don't have. And this is just one example of that. So I think it's really interesting. And, and I'm glad that we focused on the band shell, not, not only because I think this is a conversation. Don let us there? Because Don let us there. <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is a conversation that um, doesn't happen often enough. Um, that, and, and that kind of led me to the thinking of how hold the line impoverishes debate in general because um, that's the kill switch for every discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point, Fraser, is well, 
you know, we can't actually even talk about this two-thirds of the spectrum of debate because hold the line, and that's never going to happen. But until, like, and, and as much as I think there's criticism of hold the line, right? There's criticism of this policy. There's criticism out there of, of the duration of it. I don't see an actual debate forming. Um, and and what, like, what I think it takes for there to be a real debate in public about this is somebody with more standing than anybody around this table has to raise this issue and own it. Um, a politician, a, a media personality who doesn't do a podcast, like, you know, and that, that voice doesn't exist. And, and so I think what happens is the tacit agreement on um, this policy that we are always, always, always going to forever till the end of time be shrinking the budget of this community in real terms means that like we, like, what's the point so, of even talking about what the arts community wants? Yeah, so even like looking at the amendments, right? And the number of amendments that were made, like a number of them were cuts that weren't listed in that story, right? Like there was a little trimming here and there. And one of the, you know, and like <coughs> Councillor Castante was like one of the person looking to find money because he had the bus proposal that wasn't passed. And so he, came up with a list of amendments. So they are only hiring one full-time, you know, customer service coordinator at 311 instead of two. You know, they're doing a whole, a bunch of those cuts came through, you know, through what you could call progressive counselors trying to find a solution. So I agree with you. It's captured the whole debate to a point where even a progressive counselor is going through the motions of what can I cut yep. in order to fund whatever I want. So, or fund a perceived need. And those perceived needs still aren't getting funded. So the transit expansion didn't get funded to, for the South Windsor buses, but cuts still got made. So they're only hiring one additional. So the actual 3.91 is below what we were talking about last week, which was 3.93. Right, we'll, we'll take those cuts you, you thought of. That's a great <laughs> idea, but, but, but forget about the service enhancement. And even that debate, and I think we touched on this when we discussed it, but even that debate around the, um, the service enhancement to transit was impoverished because the only acceptable way to enter that debate on the side of pro-transit was to say we're not going to raise taxes god damn it we aren't raising taxes like we know that everything we say after it will be inadmissible in this community if we say that we want to raise taxes more than the existing budget does and i think it's a real shame like i think it's a real shame because in a city with a with a population that has exploded since the last time we raised taxes over the rate of inflation how long and and we've added lots and lots of housing stock since the last time we um we raised taxes over the rate of inflation like this can't go on for much longer without serious serious problems and maybe some people would argue we're already seeing serious problems are they still using that as the base case i'm i assume frazier would actually know so hold the line on taxes what was stupid about it and i agreed with it on some level but what was stupid about it is the expansion of the property base which is property taxes that was always factored in and then negated. Yep. It was always a zero-sum game. Yep. You could add a thousand properties that are adding, you know, a million dollars to the tax base, they would knock that million dollars down. So the whole the, the case we're using now is at 3.9% on top of the expanded property tax base or is it still off the base no, number? It's still it's still the like we still measure the tax increase based on the spending overall, right? So the 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 city's revenue take mm -hmm. is is the tax increase. So if the city chooses to 
um, to economize and not use uh, the the resources that would come from additional housing. Yeah, that's right. So about two two percent or more, about eight million dollars plus, came out of reserves as well. So like into operations. Yeah. So so in other words, the actual like levy of what's being funded this year is like a five point whatever. Mm-hmm. But they pulled two million dollars out of reserve or two, eight million dollars out of reserve, about two yeah. percent, in order to cover a bunch of operational things at a bunch of stabilization. So like in theory, we're getting like a five percent worth of spending, yeah. or it's almost six percent worth of spending. But some of that is not actually funded fully. It's just been funded one time, and like mm-hmm. some guy's job is up, or some project will end next year because it's just out of budget uh, budget stabilization, uh, and will either need to be incorporated into the tax rate next year, or will stop. We should get more serious about corporate naming rights, or just any naming hmm. rights. I mean, we could like sell off naming for parks. Actually, a friend of mine did recommend that. Why don't we just sell it? Like, there's Realtor Parks. A Realtor Park, many, many years ago, Realtors paid for that park. I would like my money back. But <laughs> Realtors paid to redo the park because it's turning into a dump out there. And it's still called Realtor Park. Which it shouldn't be. We, it should, like, automatically, five years, it's killed. Literally, it should be the now. Don yeah, Merrifield well. Jr. Memorial Park. <laughs> at, John, at John Merrifield Jr. It's day by day in my life. We could probably get a lot of money for, like, naming City Hall. It could be the Capri Pizza City Hall. And yeah. Why fe- featuring Pizza? Windsor? Well, because they have a great track record of it. WFCU, my friend. WFCU. Arcade has got to step up to the plate at some point. But, you know, this has got me thinking of a revenue idea for Rose City Politics. We there could just we sell naming rights to Don <laughs> on a weekly basis. You can call me Frank tomorrow. He could, he, right. He, he could be Don Franco's Merrifield. <laughs> Frank's Brewery Merrifield. Yeah. It's like uh, on Canada Land when they start off and they're like, this episode's brought to you by Josh and Bill and Jessica. <laughs> they're donors. And Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy's an asshole. <laughs> Jimmy's sitting in with Rose City Politics this yeah. week. <laughs> if I could just make one more point on this stupid banjo ah, thing. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I, I don't know what this study entails because it's always chaos, but if they're just trying to figure out how much it's going to cost to renovate and make that a usable space, the fact that they went from 300000 to 120000 I am no civil engineer, but I am in the real estate industry. I'm pretty sure... Basically, a concrete contractor could go down there and tell you in about 50 minutes for 500 bucks what you got to do to make this space, you, that band shell usable. It's going to be a four-page consultant's report instead of a 30-page well, no. consultant's report, Don. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm very but curious about be, the cost, It could actually. be a dude who walks down there and goes, yeah, that's going to be, you got to rip all that down. You're telling me we don't have one outdoor City of Windsor employee who could walk over there and just be like... Yeah, $8 million. What about these building right. inspectors we apparently have? Isn't, aren't they qualified to inspect properties? But they're, anyway, they're go ahead. with all the construction. That's true, yeah. They have to drive by all those houses and not go in. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's keep this conversation going. <laughs> We're going to shift gears a little bit, but you know, everything is connected in this episode, and this directly relates to budgets of today and budgets past, many, many past. Actually, let's set a scene right now. It's the year. <laughs> Hang on, I gotta get character. <laughs> <laughs> Start the music. Yeah. It's the year 1994. Disney's Aladdin had either just come oh, out wow. or was coming out reasonably soon. That's where today's story begins, because the our Aladdin era. our city of Windsor engineer is explaining that acting uh, city of Windsor engineer is explaining that 20 percent of our roads today are beyond repair and need to be replaced. 
And the reason that this is all coming up is because a resident on Jarvis Avenue who's lived there his whole life, Chris Jacobson, um, has been expressing a lot of problems with it. Lots of flooding, um, whenever it really rains, the, uh, the sewer itself is clay tiles, hasn't been replaced since like the 70s. Um, and the city says, yeah, we got, we got nothing that we're going to be doing on this road. The reason why I wanted to set the scene with the early 90s is because that was when the funding model for roads changed. And the feds and the province really got out of it. The city had to take it all on. And our engineer explains, look, the reason why 20%, one out of five of our roads in this city are beyond repair and need replacement is because that occurred 30 years ago when I was five. Are we literally still blaming Mike Harris for the misery in our province? Is that what's going on? Paul Martin. It's a good one-two punch. Um, it's, this, is, this is just such a mind-boggling one to be able to just go pointing to you know, governments of 30 years ago to justify, I guess, not making the meaningful improvements. And you know, the whole hold-the-line thing now really comes into play because one in five of our roads are deficient. So I, I know nobody has the answer to this question, but I'll ask it rhetorically. In that 30 plus years, how many reports do you think were paid for and generated to figure out the state of our road infrastructure over the last 30 years? And how much money was spent on that? <laughs> what, and how many mental studies, feasibility 100%. studies? And, and how many roads could that have repaired? 100%. <laughs> Jarvis Road, if you've ever been, yeah. like Jarvis Road is one of those kind of weird little roads that you don't even notice is there just because of its location. It would be better off being a, still being a gravel farm road than what it is well, right now. If you wait long enough, maybe. <laughs> pretty much it's halfway there. But I, I was looking at a photograph from the Windsor Star, and it's uh, the, like the, the manhole, not the cover, the sewer grate where the water yeah. goes down, is recessed like four and a half, five feet into the property yard. And there's like a raise in front of it because the, the roots of the trees have raised it all up, yeah. which is also collapsing the sewer. But it's just this hilarious situation where the water is obviously pooling at the base of the berm that's been built. It can't get over it until it gets, rises so much that it can then access the sewer. Um, but again, hold the line, am I right? Yeah, so I find this really interesting and I wanna, um, I wanna tie the hold the line policy to the um, to that uh, Martin era and and Harris era although I think 94 is was was Harris still in office in 94 he's just getting elected in 94 oh. Oh, okay okay right common sense revolution but that um, that <laughs> Blame Bob Ray that that, that whole era of politics was like a fiscal reset for this country and this province right where um, severe cuts were made and um, and and I think you you know you you talk to people who are dependent on or advocate for social services in this country, and they point to that era as a time when um, you know we we really um, lost our our uh, connection to the um, you know ODSP rates and and uh, Ontario Works rates and so forth that social they, housing that all that <laughs> stuff right so so. There was a there was a fiscal reset, but what that really resulted in is sort of the permanent impoverishment of um, elements of our society, based on um, you know resources no longer going there, right? And and isn't that kind of isn't that kind of what hold the line is doing to Windsor? I mean, if you live uh, and I know we talk about this all the time, and and I see the comments on our on our. Um, 
iTunes, uh, you know, people talk, call us crybabies who hate South Windsor. But the, the truth is we that... We get comments? Yes, we do. And we're crybabies who hate South Windsor. And uh -huh. we're, a, we're a bad MSNBC clone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I knew Don would enjoy nice. that. Um, but, but Can I be Rachel Maddow? You know, I, I don't, so I, I'm sensitive to the fact that some of, our, some of my neighbors in South Windsor um, think that we're a bunch of sucks who hate them. Uh, at the same time, if you know, if you are a person who doesn't need any of the city services, and you think your kids will never need any of sure. the city services, then like, hold the line. And the narrative and the and the um, the rhetoric around the hold the line is a total justification for you to pursue your self interest. And like, the core of the city could be a smoking ruin yeah. for all it's going to affect your life if you if you live in uh, you know Southwood Lakes and and don't ever come south of or north of Tecumseh Road, like, that's does it matter? Yeah, because that's always, that's a big part of the transit debate all the time. Right. We have to spend, you know, realistically, we probably have to spend 50 or $100 million to get our transit system up and running. But if you live in Southwood Lakes or you live, you know, on the far east side of the city or South Windsor, farther out South Windsor, you don't use it. So well, and, the, and then that impacted, um, I wanted to bring this in because that impacted uh, Castante and Mackenzie's um, proposal on transit, like, it was heavily weighted towards improving service in South Windsor, right? Mm -hmm. And probably um, for, like, you know, not a small amount because you have to justify that to the people who live there. Well, and the, the unfortunate thing, like you say, you, we're still treating Windsor like Mike Harris and Paul Martin treated, you know, the country back then, is that is still, unfortunately, that is still, I think, the mentality of the mayor and probably a lot of councillors and their supporters in the suburbs is, they haven't fully acknowledged, and I can tell you this from a real estate standpoint for sure, is like people who live in South Windsor having acknowledged the housing problem, but the reality is the last four or five years it's turning up in their neighborhood and they're just not looking at it. Like there's a lot of South, not a lot, but there's a number of South Windsor homes that have been bought and turned into 16 students living in a four bedroom, two story, which would have been in a quiet residential neighborhood and maybe they don't know yet or they don't care. I think that the people in the suburbs are still looking at these as downtown problems. And I think the mayor on the whole housing thing, if we're gonna get into that later, proved that. They haven't even Leaned acknowledged it even. that it's actually affecting them, beginning to affect them now, and it's only going to get worse if we don't, if they don't I, I put think up that, and solve some of this. I think you can make the argument that those those early impacts are are driving like even more intense sort of NIMBY attitudes towards fourplexes. Yeah, because they'll just like think that, it's going right? to get worse. That's why they don't want fourplexes in South Windsor, right? Then you know the poor people are going to live with us. I see Fraser is like camping at the bit. Yeah. Well, so. So yeah, the road challenges is, again, it goes back decades and it goes back to choices being made, right? And Don likes to talk about other priorities. Like we, you could have invested in roads and not done- The aquatic center the aquatic for $100 million? Center, Esplanades, you know. Could have borrowed. We could have borrowed. borrowed. You know, there are a lot of options that haven't been taken. And I think, I think like, and I think, let's be fair here, this is not just a Windsor issue. You know, on my other podcast, I've talked to the mayor, Chatham Kent. They have like a $1.2 billion infrastructure deficit in Chatham-Kent with a fat fraction of Essex County's population. Look, if you could not talk about your other girlfriend in front of us, we'd you know, appreciate no, it. No, but like, but like this is like, but it's all like bridges and culverts yeah. on rural roads from like the amalgamation of 21 towns. And like, these are all things that like, every municipality has this problem. And so the question is really, again, and I think like what we're sort of dancing around is like, there's a tipping point on quality of life. 
And like the question is, when do these tipping points get hit for certain parts of the community? And you know, this is where you see, you know, breakdown of social trust and social cohesion and all those other conversations that you have. Like, well, if they can't fix my road after 50 years, why would you trust them to raise your taxes? Right. And so like it all feeds into like that negative cycle. And so I think like there's there's challenges there where like I there is an art a strong argument to make. Like just get back to basics as a municipality. That's what I was going to say. And like, about. you know, fix the damn road was like Gretchen Whitmer, Whitmer you know, now the governor of Michigan's like mm-hmm. campaign thing is like, we're just going to fix the roads. And like, she got elected. Like, I think that there's, you know, I think Pierre Polyev is going to run on a common sense fiscal agenda federally in the next election, modeled off of Mike Harris's common sense revolution. Mm-hmm. Like, these are, this is where sort of society is today. And I think like there, there's a pathway there where like, yeah, you can see some shrinkage in government, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, but it's gonna free up dollars to, you know, we're gonna just pave the roads to hell with whatever else is going on. And, you know, banshells be damned. Yeah, well, I think, I didn't mean to jump on anybody, but I, that was gonna be my point is I think it's not only a municipal issue. This is going on all over the country on many different basic infrastructure things in the country, our health systems and chaos and housing and everything else. It's, ha- have we reached that point as just citizens of a country that we're looking at all of our levels of government and trying to figure, okay, what do we actually want government to do? Like, it's almost like there's gonna be a giant reset of, okay, stop all this extra bs that you're spending money we just want our roads fixed we just want you know defense spending increased we just want our health care spending increased all the other stuff that you know the shiny bright election stuff that they throw a few million here a few million there around that really is priorities and that has to end because i think we've proven as a country we can't afford it we just can't afford it well no i disagree we can afford it right the problem is our expectations are misaligned right so again going back to hold the line locally what if taxes had gone up one percent a year through that whole period they could have just on expanded property base well they could have i I agree right but you could have generated one percent more revenue and that would have been four million dollars a year and over 10 years that's 40 million dollars that you could be plowing into insert priority here and like the problem is our expectations are mis- misaligned. Right. I think it's really important um, to like to point that out because what does it cost to have a city that that isn't like being run into the ground or doesn't feel like it's being run into the ground? And like, you know, if your tax bill is, I don't know, five grand a year today, what would it cost in order for that, um, the quality of life to be somewhere more acceptable, it's not like it would cost ten thousand. And I think mm. that that's where the rhetoric—that—that's where the rhetoric is. Like, it might cost fifty-five hundred, right? Fifty-five hundred a year instead of five thousand. Like, that might be where where we're at. And and so, like, are we prioritizing saving the typical household five hundred bucks over having a decent city to live in? And I, I think that's a question of balance. Like, I, I don't agree at all that we can't afford it, and it would have to be proved to me that we can't afford it. I think the problem when we look at situations like this, yes, it's only five hundred bucks. Could everybody around this table afford five hundred bucks? Problem. No big deal. But we're just looking. It's forty dollars a month, Don. No, I get it. If you own a house, you can afford forty dollars. No, hundred percent. I spend forty bucks on stupid shit all the time. But you're and we are looking at it in the context of just municipal taxes. The problem you're going to run into is people are going to go. My property taxes have gone up. 
gas prices with carbon taxes have gone up, food has gone, like it's not, you can't look at it as it's just 500 bucks a month because you know what? There's another 3,000 a year I have to pay extra expenses because of government spending on top of that that isn't municipal. Or to piggy off that, it's just an extra $5 a year that, to get the band shells That's such a bullshit extra, argument extra because that's not, how, that's not reality. No, I know, but the point being is once you do start to parse that argument down to just that base level rather than having a conversation just about we need to just fund the things that we need to fund, and you start to parse it down, it becomes really easy to start to kill that argument by going, well, look at the slippery slope of everything else that could just be funded in just a small little piecemeal amount. Well, it's, it's, it's a whole paradigm shift that's sort of needed. And I think people are willing to spend the money if they're getting what they need. Like if if, 100%. if, the, if the, it does cost 500 bucks more per household, for example, but everybody's roads are set and we're you know we're we're good. Everybody's back up to date. The problem is the the gap between where we are and where we need to be. It is too. It is too expensive. Even even if we increase, you know, taxes ten percent this year, we still couldn't quite get there. And I think that's the trade off that that we go. Okay, well, if we're not going to get there anyway, let's just keep taxes low because people are going to gripe and complain about it. And let's just keep the the taxpayers as happy as we can. I think Toronto's testing that theory, right, Mayor Olivia Chow's budget came out at nine point six percent. You know, yeah, for like, Toronto, that's like like they've mm-hmm. had to hold the line for just about as long. You know, there wasn't zero, but they've been like staying under inflation for almost as long. Like we're going to watch that test play out, and if she can deliver a higher quality of life and fix certain things over the next two years, like suddenly there's an argument to be made because then there's a model to do it. I just think it takes longer than two years to see that kind of thing turn around, and so that's why we end up in this cycle with with the terms that we have. That over the four years that you're in office, you can't actually get done what you need to get done in order to prove your point to people. Kristen supports dictatorship. Read <laughs> <laughs> it for life. No, oh my gosh, Sometimes stop. I just look at China and their system. <laughs> oh, and no. Think that it might That's work easier. Oh, Sorry, I've been, I've been advocating for years that I should just be the king and everybody should just do what I say. Oh my god! Right. And so who's going to do the branding on your crown, sir? Great screwing, So something else that Chow did is try to secure more dollars from the feds and uh, like I'm I'm sympathetic yeah and I'm sympathetic to municipal governments Um, even even though we get tired of hearing um, city councillors in Windsor say this or that issue is a provincial issue and and whatnot um, I'm sympathetic to that argument because property tax is a regressive tax Mm -hmm. Um, by comparison to income taxes where uh, people with the highest incomes pay the biggest share. Uh, property tax doesn't work like that, to your point, Don. And municipal government maybe is the place where we should be looking for the penny-pinchingist approach because we are yeah. hitting people. We are hitting people who have less ability to pay more. Um, but that would require partners at senior government um, to stop being addicted to those um, low tax rates and actually, you know, increase income taxes. And I'm looking at um, the OECD's uh, um, comparison of the total tax wedge for the average worker ac- across different countries in 2022. Where do you think Canada is in terms of like the total take among the rich countries of the world? Do you think we're in the top half or the bottom half? Just for income taxes? That's correct. Well, the, the tax on workers, so that would include all taxes not paid by companies. So like sales taxes, business yeah. taxes, blah, blah, blah. Not probably mid-pack, I would think, somewhere. We're in the bottom third. Yeah. We're below, well below average. Um, OECD average is 30 point, 34.6. 
and Canada is 31.9. My point is we have a completely distorted conversation in this country. We act like every other country in the world doesn't exist and that um, the level of taxation is absolutely the maximum that we could possibly take from people and have a decent quality of life and, and be able to reward entrepreneurship and risk taking and all that. And it's horseshit. Like we're talking about tiny differences. You know, you look at, I don't know, pick a country that is a, a progressive superstar, Norway, 35%. Right, one percent more. They got oil money. So let's pick but, Denmark. Okay, Denmark, <laughs> even lower, thirty-five point five percent. So they're like 09 percent higher, right? Mm-hmm. Less than one percent higher take on wages, right? And think about the difference. Isn't isn't um, isn't that the place where they send you like a baby box with all the diapers and formula and stuff that you need? <laughs> and with a baby. The yeah. point, but but, but they but, steal but, it from Finland. But so to <laughs> to Fraser's point, you know, countries that have higher social cohesion and higher social trust are probably more willing to um, to have higher top end tax rates because you feel like your money is going to be well, I think, used I think used that, w- that was the point. And I agree that, look, I sit here and say, I don't want to pay taxes all the time. I don't want to pay more money. And the only reason, I, and this is the conversation people don't have with me, the only reason I don't want to pay more municipal taxes or income tax right, is because my feeling is the return on that tax. Is, nothing gets better, so don't stop taking my money. Well, and that is exactly my attitude. And if, like you were bringing up Toronto, which is a great point, if you're going to, anyone who pays attention outside of Windsor knows what goes on in Toronto all the time. They're paying hundreds of millions of dollars to build subways, blah, 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 blah. If you're going to come to Windsor and say, Windsor residents say, look, we got to raise your property taxes 10% because, you know, we need roads. And then you use as the example, look at Toronto, they're raising their property taxes 9.5%, but they're also getting exponentially much more provincial investment for their transit problems than we will ever get down or even prorated. So it kind of goes back to my original point is we have to decide what we want government to do for us. And the problem is what you brought up is Toronto always gets a lot more money because that's where the votes are. Let's not kid ourselves. They're buying votes in Toronto and Ottawa and Montreal and all these other places. Maybe and we just need a million more Windsorites, Don. But no, that's the point. I lived in Toronto. You know what's funny? I lived in Toronto in the 90s and I had house in the 90s in Toronto, which I sold. I could be a billionaire right now. Uh, when I moved from Toronto to here, my houses were pretty much the same if you look at square footage. It might have been a little smaller in Toronto. My taxes were, I'm trying to do this on a percentage basis, probably about 40% less in Toronto than they were here. And the only reason Toronto has survived is because the amount of money that the province pumps into that. Wrong. I disagree with that. Land clearly. transfer tax. Yeah, but that's new. I'm talking. Well, they've, had that, they've had that for over a decade. Well, that's new to me. I'm old. I know, Kristen. Okay, listen, I, I just, you can't say that, that Toronto gets all kinds of provincial sure federal I can. money. Sure, I can. No, 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 no. When we have opportunities to get provincial and federal money and they, we offer them and they have these great programs and we go, hey, you could get $30, $40 million for your housing infrastructure problem. All we need you to do is abide by these rules. And no, we go, you know what? No thanks. I am not factoring. when we had the, I, the I am not factoring in the Windsor's a moron factor. Yeah, <laughs> no, 100%. You can't say like, oh, Oh, well, I mean, Toronto gets everything. Toronto plays the game. Toronto gets what they need because they go for it. True. Do we go for it? No, we get offered it and we go, you know what? No, thanks. I actually, no, 
Oh, I prefer not doing anything about it. Agree. Look at the Garage Mahal money. Like, we could have had money for transit. We said, you know what we would rather have? Solar panels on bus shelters. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You know what I love? Sitting outside in the cold for 45 minutes while my bus doesn't come. You know what I love? I can't go out tonight because I got to go pick up my kid at 11 o'clock from her job because she can't even take the bus home because the bus goes right past her. You got to be kidding me. You talk about quality of life. You talk about getting investment from provincial and federal money. We don't even take it when it gets offered to us. The funny thing is, we agree. I don't know why she's yelling at me. <laughs> thank you for uncorking a gorgeous man. <laughs> I, was I saying, try to hold back, I was saying I try to behave uh, myself. <laughs> I wasn't saying that we couldn't get it. I'm just saying we don't. <laughs> we definitely so don't. I, I we think definitely that, don't. I think that is our next topic, actually. So beautiful. Thank you. Very loud segue. Segue. Just providing a segue. Yeah. Turn down your speakers, folks. I'm, I'm, going, on um, I'm going on straight to the other show. It's less violent. <laughs> Well, let's just really quickly touch upon um, the Transit Windsor topic before we go on broadly to the Housing Accelerator one, which you just gave us a brief preview <laughs> of our next two hey, topics. Yeah, that both. was great. Let's do both. Um, yeah, so we are rapidly approaching a transit strike here, 12.01 Monday morning, and hilariously, Transit Windsor and the city are asking people to find alternate arrangements, <laughs> which is just... <laughs> it was hilarious. You get it a, wasn't so absurd. There's a great quote here from a, a transit user. It is my favorite quote. Medea Khan said, in the event that they're not running, I will bike, I will walk, I will hitchhike, I'll fly if I had wings. <laughs> I no, really enjoyed that. No kidding. Mm-hmm. So see, the, pro- the problem is then the mayor sees that and says, see, we don't even need a transit. See, yeah. they fly if they <laughs> There, there are alternate options for them. But, but look at the experience of our transit <laughs> users. They've gotten so used to finding <laughs> other methods of transportation that there's no hesitation to find a list of other ways I can is, get somewhere yeah. because this is what we, <laughs> transit is so unreliable. Maybe, maybe Transit Windsor and the city are just conspiring to bring back the lost art of hitchhiking. Hundred oh percent. Well, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause I, I, I think we just start our own transit system, like just drive around and the Windsor Thumb. Well, we call that on demand. Yeah. It, it, I have every belief. I have every faith in our transit system. I love the people. Why? For why? Transit. Do you I think ha- why? that it can be better. No, that's not faith. I that's still hope. hope for a better world. <laughs> that's God. hope, not faith. I, I just think I. You're, I, you're doing Princess Leia right now. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> Are you're you asking, not even done your, your setup, are you? No, you're, you're asking Obi Wan Kenobi for all. <laughs> oh God. Uh, well, no, you know it just it ties in to the whole point of you know lack of trust in the city and just the institutions. Like, why would anyone want to see you know any type of tax increase? When you're seeing your transit fees going up, right? You're seeing your service, service decreasing better, or being eliminated temporarily. Uh, it's just the whole situation is, you know, just continuously demonstrating. I think people from South Windsor should have to pick everybody up downtown and drive them wherever they have to go during a transit strike. That's the, that's the <laughs> ultimate Then they'll understand how important transit is. <laughs> See, now this is why people think that we don't like South Windsor. Mandatory if Uber. Uber. <laughs> if you are a Transit Windsor user with a regular bus pass, you'll be provided with a copy of the white pages, <laughs> and <laughs> you can place a call to any of the phone numbers in Wards 1, 9, and just, you know, just put a call out. And uh, <laughs> we're not going to cover the, the fee, though, for the phone call. So when it was really so my kid's going to the University of Windsor and he takes the bus because I don't get up early in the morning anymore. Uh, but when it was really cold there a, lot, a couple weeks ago he, he, he had one class that ends really late and he has to take the bus home. And inevitably I get that call about every other week. Can you come and get me dad? The bus didn't show up. 
And I said, like, what? Like, you guys must have been freezing out there. What happened to the other people? Says, oh, literally six people in, sitting in the shelter freezing their ass off got together, chipped in money, and called an Uber to get home. That was the only way they were getting home. Yeah. And it's minus 20 outside. And that, that is every other week for our transit. Rebrand those bus shelters. It's an Uber pooling mustering point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say, though, these are two separate issues, and I think it's important to separate them, that, that the strike issues and, and the, the fair deal that they're, they're bargaining for is, is a completely different thing. But the impact that we're going to see at, uh, on our users is going to degrade the faith in the, in the transit system. So at the end of the day, if you're standing at a bus shelter and there's no bus coming, or if you have to find alternate me- means of transportation, it, it's still, it, that's your experience, but and that's still going to be And I think they are connected. But, yeah, but I, 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 do, I do think they're, either. no, I agree. Like, like, when's the last time we had a police strike? Right, we funded it. Right, like we, the things that we don't prioritize are under pressure, and one of the ways that that pressure gets released so, is labor unrest. Well, right? even, even in the budget, they call the transit funding a subsidy and housing funding a subsidy, whereas the police budget shows up as police budget. <laughs> yeah, right. right, right. And so even just in the framing of the budget, mm-hmm. like you go read the documents. It's like the tra- under the ABCs, the transit authorities is transit subsidy amount. This is money right. for the poor. These so, are essential and these are bonus. And so it's like there, there's a cultural thing here. And like this is, I've hit culture a couple times and pissed people too. off uh, about, you know, culture uh, a little bit. Um, but I think like there is, you know, and cultural, culture change takes time. And so we talked about the tr- potential transit site the last time there was a potential transit strike. And like... You know, and we had this conversation of do we hope for chaos or not, right? And like, but like, either way, there's going to be something as of Monday morning. And, you know, the part of the reason why they didn't add those extra buses is because it would have taken buses off of school routes supporting the school boards. In the, right. in the in the budget, McKenzie yes. yeah. And so su- those buses aren't running Monday. <laughs> and so suddenly, you know, it's like, it's going to be reality of like, you know, you're going to get a taste of like the parking rides that are going to be over jammed Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Kiss and ride, whatever the hell they're are, they're called. I don't have kids. I don't drink, bring them to school. I think kiss and ride is adorable. But whatever. Course, but. but like it is you until know. I show up. And then it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I keep I keep being asked to leave. It's inappropriate. I'm asking for kisses. I'm here for not my kids. Kind of From the parents. Get out of here. Yeah, weirdo. We got weird. Radio people. <laughs> anyway, so like so. You know, I agree. Like, there hasn't been a big strike in this city in a while, a, a municipal strike. And I think how that plays out over the next few weeks is going to be very telling. Because I think if the, if the strike goes certain ways, you could actually see this as a catalyst for investment in transit. If it goes mm-hmm. other ways, it could be the thing that kills transit in Windsor forever. I think the mayor is looking at this. How long does a strike have to happen where I can go back to the public and say, now I don't have to raise your taxes because we saved so much money on transit by not having it? No, they have to hold those, those dollars in reserve to pay <laughs> after the strike. <laughs> Do you think, well, I know we talked about it a little bit last time, but again, there's other municipalities that are now involved in this transit strike if it does occur. Um, do you think that there's any weight of those elected officials to put weight onto our elected officials to get this result? I think they or care less about transit than Mayor Gilkins does, to be honest. And I think the routes are so spur- like it's an hourly route in LaSalle. Yeah. It's an hourly yeah. route. Like it's not yeah, the like to Windsor. like three times a day or four times a day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not at a cadence that like you're using that to get to and from public school or to the 
you know, or mm-hmm. to your job easily. I mean, it's, that still, it's, it's better than no, it's better than nothing. People. Like some people are still depending on it, but I also think that it's been introduced so like recently that that mm-hmm. anybody who's who's using it. But th- this is the problem, right? Because because um, if if you lose that, even for a period of time. Like, I think you really need people to feel like they can count on transit. Mm-hmm. And especially people in the regional system. They need to feel they can rely on the system. Um, there is a, there's a person who works in this, in this unit, a, a gentleman who works for Hackforge, who um, uses transit to commute from Leamington, or from Kingsville, sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, can, transit and cycling. Um, this is a little weird. Like, it's a, that's definitely an investment of time. But the point is that now... Um, his place of work is inaccessible. Right. Inaccessible if there's a transit strike. He doesn't own a car. But that's true for a ton of people. It, a ton this of people is, that we don't count. But, but and it's right. always characterized as students. It's always characterized as like as though transit is for recreational use or or it's for people who mm-hmm. have parents or, or whoever that can get them from place to place. But transit is essential. It's the backbone of, of how we get around in this city. And until we invest in it, we're not going to be able to progress. Right. And that, you know, the, the issue that we're fighting over in this strike that the, the issue that's come between the two parties that's that's holding us up seems to be this 10 sick days thing like it's it's the fact that, that this is the wedge this is the thing that's driving it is so ridiculous like we're not even talking about what, investing right. more money in transit which we should be what would we allow to be suspended for 10 sick days in this town mm-hmm. right what do we allow to be disrupted for the amount of money that 10 sick days for a transit driver represents not everything but transit Mm-hmm. I don't think that. I, I mean, I, I to your point about about chaos. I, I think that on the one hand, you hope for chaos so that it proves the point that we need to invest in transit. Rose but on City the other chaos. hand, <laughs> Rose, Rose City, City chaos. chaos. Rose City chaos politics. I, I think it, it's. I don't think we're going to see that unless it, it goes on for a very long time. You look at when transit was canceled during COVID, and yes, COVID is like a very different thing, but there just wasn't, there, there were certainly groups that were upset about it. There were certainly, you know, people who were speaking out against the fact that, that transit was shut down, but it, it didn't move the needle. It doesn't, um, it doesn't become a part of the conversation in the whole community. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and I think that's I think that's the real problem. Is you do you get these sporadic stories, you know, that the people who are impacted know that it's impactful, but there isn't a there's not a consistent drumbeat to um, to kind of draw like bring people to that conclusion when a service like this is disrupted. Like if you don't rely on transit, you're going to get you know an article in CBC that you might read or you might not. You're going to hear something on AM 800. You might turn the radio off. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, you know, there, but there are some things in this town. If there was a garbage strike, well, or a public works strike, we know what happens, right? It's, it's, um, it's a gigantic issue for every single person. And I just don't think this is going to rise to that level no matter how long no. it goes. Uh, I don't know. I think that you're going to see a lot of people who rely on, like, Uber, now getting really mad because you're going to see your fares going from like $20 regularly to $40 because there's now just so many more people that are on the system. Mm. And now you're calling up your city councilors going, what the hell? It's costing me $60 a day to get to work? Like, this is insane. Uh, I don't use the bus personally, but now I'm impacted because of that. Uh, but, you know, to the question of whether or not a strike will yield, you know, better services or not, I look to the past, you know, strikes that we have <laughs> had in this city the longer ones, did they ever result in greater services or were they just, you know, continual markers in our quest to keep 
cutting taxes. Yeah, I mean, the, gar- the garbage service got better after we yeah, but contracted w- it out. But now look at what we're going to. We're going to be getting rid of it in alleys, and everyone's going to be putting it on their sidewalks to be shared with with bikes and scooters and yard waste. And How is Paul Borelli going to get downtown on his bicycle? The <laughs> sidewalk will be blown. Okay, uh, there is one thing I just wanted to mention before we quickly move on and start to wrap things up. Uh, with the Globe and Mail downtown, uh, or in Windsor, there were some pretty funny uh, tweets that were put out. One sort of related to transit and uh, the riverfront. Oliver Moore uh, took a picture of the Spirit of Windsor down at the river, and he said, Windsor's done a pretty good job on this section of the river trail, though I'm not entirely sure the message that the Spirit of Windsor is a decommissioned locomotive that will never move again. No, that pretty much <laughs> sounds like the Spirit of Windsor. <laughs> Wait till we get a decommissioned streetcar next to it, yeah. then you're really going to get the message. Look at all the things we could have had. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe they'll put up a model of a functioning emergency room, too. There you go. <laughs> Just a random hospital bed downtown. Uh, remember the day. <laughs> remember when we had health care? <laughs> Those were good old days. Okay, well, last topic, real quick. The feds obviously rejected our <laughs> request for $40 million to $70 million in housing funds from the housing accelerator fund because we didn't want to loosen our bylaws to allow for fourplexes throughout the entire city. Only wards 2, Costante, 3, Augustino, and 9's McKenzie voted against the resubmission, reaffirmation of the housing accelerator fund. Um, two camps are now playing out here. One is that the evil federal government refused it. The other is that the city of Windsor didn't jump high enough to meet the requirements. Um, they're both right. Although the framing mm. is not really, I think even the way you described the intro to this, the feds turned the feds didn't turn it down. The feds said you have to do X, Y, and Z, and we told them to go f themselves. And then we said, "Oh, the feds are being mean and not giving well, us." Well, they did money. turn it down because they we submitted, it down. We submitted <laughs> yeah. the wrong paper. But I think I think when you phrase it in the media and from the mayor's office, that's how they're framing it. It has to be framed at. Windsor didn't get the money because we didn't want to play by the rules. Windsor <laughs> shit the bed on its housing accelerator funds. Hundred percent, because honestly, that's what it is. I mean, that's all it is. And that was sorry. Go ahead. No, that's like that's it. I don't want to go into like the you know what it, what's made up of it and stuff. We've talked about all of that enough. Um, I guess it's just the politics of yeah. this now. Just here we are. It's it's the constant situation that's always at play. The mayor's office and his allies and whoever is going to get you know looped in from the media to help launder that messaging across are just going to put out there that it's the feds and it's Eric and they hate Windsor and if only they would have been willing to listen to how reasonable we were here, we all know but what they aren't is. reasonable. I'm of two minds about this. Um, I think that this issue and the way that Mayor Dilkins has handled it, and he's been like, on. at first I thought Mayor Dilkins is playing defense here. He's being defensive. And I think you can make that case that... Um, that there is a lot of noise happening um, because uh, he's, you know, he's worried about the perception on this. But there's also been a like a longstanding pattern of um, Drew Dilkins creating distance between him and the Liberal government um, and uh, um, contrasting himself with Eric Kaczmarczyk. It seems to be something that Mayor Dilkins really likes to do. So I just want to throw this out there as uh, um, an element. Do you think that um, Mayor Dilkins is preparing a federal run in Windsor West for I, the Conservative Party of Canada? Do you think that it's in Windsor West, or do you think that it's going to be in Windsor Tecumseh? Has to be. He lives in South Windsor, doesn't he? I, honestly, I would. I think it would be a big mistake for Dilkins are, to run in Tecumseh. And there's yeah. already nominations happening out in Windsor Tecumseh. Oh, they're going to get Kathy Brawley again. 
Oh hell yeah! <laughs> at least, at least that's according to a certain Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Still waiting for my phone ringing out there. So, conservatives. Well, so. then, uh, see, I don't know because I was of the belief that if he was going to run, it would be Windsor to come see just so, because of this housing accelerator fund with his defense that he was taking, <laughs> saying, "Look, we're not going to allow for these types of units in South Windsor. We're not going to allow them in Walkerville. We're not going to allow them in so that area." The City of Windsor's housing accelerator proposal is very close to the federal conservative housing proposal which is around transit and major arteries and transit hubs and nodes. All the language that you've heard, you know, if you go look at the map, it's all along major, you know, arteries and things. That's where they allowed fourplexes by right. That's where they were willing to do that, but not in existing neighborhoods. So now, the, on, we don't know, there is no formal con federal conservative housing proposal that would say like, you know, this is the setbacks and these are the kind of rules, like I assume that CMHC has right now that they're operating under. So. I think that there's a pathway there for the mayor to run should, should he choose to, um, particularly, you know, again, there's always the perennial rumor, is Brian mm -hmm. Massey also going to be, you know, is Brian Massey ready to retire and like move on and things like that? I don't know. I haven't heard anything on that front. I can't see them running against each other. But, right. you know, if, if they are running or if he is running and Brian Massey isn't, you have to figure he is a shoe in for that seat in a what is probably going to be a landslide conservative victory yeah. and probably if you're going to run for the conservatives like, now's uh, the time to do it fast track to some sort of parliamentary secretary or cabinet position so the thing is that to the extent that you think this is true um then then we're talking about sacrificing the equivalent of a 10 percent tax cut you're throwing windsor under the bus for the your equivalent of a 10 percent tax cut to the residents of the city of windsor in order to make some score some points against the Trudeau government, and um, to the extent that you think that's true, uh, you know, I would t tend to think that that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I said like he's literally willing to sacrifice Windsor for his own political career. If you believe that argument, I don't. I never went down that path. My thought process from real estate agent guy is people in South Windsor are afraid they're going to get renters who are historically lower income than them living in their neighborhoods and they don't want it. Well, sure, but you know what? How many cities across the country have signed on to that fourplex requirement? So, so I think like, you know, and Kuzmerichek makes this argument that, that it's about what community leaders chose to do in those cities, which is lead instead of fear monger. 100%. And, and I, you know, I recognize that both um, Kuzmerichek and Dilkins um, may be, uh, are, are jockeying and thinking of their own political self-interest, and they may even each have their eye on the other's position at this moment, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so you've got to take all that into account, but I find, I find Kuzmerchik's argument pretty compelling. Well, it is because it's common sense. And let, look, I've been in real estate for, in Windsor for 20, Jesus, 24 years now. I'm going to tell you right now, if this proposal went through and was passed and four parks is going to be built in any community, no one is buying a $600,000 house in South Windsor, tearing it down, getting it reserviced for a fourplex, and the math would never work. Unless it's they're crazy like a fox. Crazy like a fox. <laughs> but from a strict real estate investment numbers game, that would never work. The they're still just going to build fourplexes downtown on lots where houses have burnt down. Anywhere there's an infill lot, you get a 90-foot lot, you sell around 45 feet, you sell that. South Windsor, Riverside, South, they, they just don't have that kind of, you're not, they were never gonna get built there 
even if this was passed. So either the mayor, once again, has proved that the city of Windsor has no concept of real estate at all after that fiasco with the library. They're just doubling down on stupid, which I 100% think is the case. Or B, yeah, maybe it is just a political angle he's taken, which opens up a whole other. So I think what happened Thursday and Friday was interesting, where the housing minister came out and said, well, Windsor's only hit 30% of its current housing mm -hmm. target with like 300 approvals last year. And then the mayor comes out immediately on the <laughs> next day with an 1100 number based on the internal permitting data. Now, I think there's like, again, like he's trying, I don't know, like if you're trying to end the story, right? And I think like he also dropped the budget release on Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. so that there'd be a news story for Saturday that the budget's been approved and things like that and that we would talk about it for, you know, I'm sure he was thinking about this group would talk oh, about for it sure. for, Definitely, yeah. you know. Top priority. Uh, so I think, so it's like, why are you continuing the story unless you're trying to shore up something else? Mm -hmm. And like, I think like that internal number and like the argument that was made in the in the po in the, the Windsor started a decent story breaking down the data gaps and uh, they beat me to it. Uh, <laughs> How dare but they? I know. Uh, but they. How do those people who get paid to do that? <laughs> do <this laughs> thing they get paid for? Again. I know. Uh, but like the challenge is like. 300 to 1100 is a big gap, right? And so there's, there is this difference here and like the perception of like, is the city doing enough on housing is still an important perception that the mayor has to manage. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just enough to like, oh, we did our best, the evil Freds, but like we also set record number permits last year. Permits right. are meaningless. Well, and like <laughs> we've talked about that and you dig into the methodology of how CMHC tracks those things and what numbers are being yeah. put forward by the city versus what numbers are being tracked by the provincial government through their dashboard, which I would point out the city of Hamilton just got awarded $12 million for hitting their targets this year through the, through the provincial government. Mm -hmm. So we had 38%, Hamilton got 97%, they got $12 million. Based, I don't think the, pro and the city's gonna try and advocate to the province to use better numbers. They're not gonna change their methodology if they're already handing out cash based on the old methodology. But as Mayor Dilkins pointed out in debate, you know, he's, he's on the, uh Housing Policy Task Force. Does that matter? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Like so much in Windsor, it's just all vibes. Yeah. As long as you can just uh, keep people from looking behind the actual curtain. Don't look at the and man behind the curtain pulling the strings. And there's enough blame to go around because let's face it, we're in this housing situation because the feds have completely screwed the pooch on their immigration policy by not factoring in housing for bringing in 500,000 people every year. So there's enough blame to go around. The feds are trying to cover up their mistakes and we're just doubling down on stupid because that's our method. I mean, it depends on whether you consider that a mistake. I mean, the mistake being that like we need to provide better support when we do bring in that number of people. Yeah, 100%. You, you can bring in 10 million immigrants if you want, but if there's nowhere to put them, you have no plan for housing them, then you're not looking at the full thing. You're just looking at one side of it. Okay. Yeah, let's end it before she starts yelling at me again. She's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, Watch like, out. You like you, you go on the rants and like it's like you are yelling at all of us. Yes. <laughs> and but what we are all like just nodding in agreement, but no one can see that because no. it's you know it's a, it's an audio base. We're nodding and medium. powering. Yeah. <laughs> I literally agreed with her and I was getting screaming at for twenty minutes. Uh, wow, you guys. So there's just one for your consideration that I wanted to bring up. Um, I just I started hearing about this story out of the Toronto District School Board. 
and like all stupidity rolling oh, downhill. Oh wait, I have a rant about this one too. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Sit back, you guys. Sit back. Um, so it followed. Uh, <laughs> it followed from Toronto here to uh, Windsor, Essex, with uh, public and Catholic school boards dismissing dismissing students at 1 p.m. on April oh, the Jesus. 8th, yeah, yeah. the day of an expected solar <laughs> eclipse. Now that eclipse is supposed to be impacting the region between 2 p.m. and 3:15 p.m. Both boards have also announced that bus transportation is canceled for the afternoon on those days. So you can get the kids to school on the bus, school then ends, you're shit out of luck to get them home. So is, is the idea here that there can't be any liability if nobody is on the property during the eclipse? Yeah, so at first when I heard this, I went, oh, cool. They're letting the kids out early because there's an eclipse. They're going to gonna go be able to spend it, yeah. the day no. experiencing the wonder and majesty of science and the universe. <laughs> and of course, no, it's the stupidest goddamn thing that it possibly could be. Um, in Windsor, what's being said out loud is that we're concerned they're going to look up and see the eclipse and they can go blind. There's a quote from the Catholic board that says, looking at the intense light from the sun during a solar eclipse, even for just a few seconds, can cause permanent damage to the retina, the part of the eye directly responsible for vision. Exposing your eyes to the sun without proper eye protection during a solar eclipse can cause retinal burns or solar retinopathy. But of course, I mean, we all saw Donald Trump do it. He just stared at So that's all I'm picturing in my head right now. Is like, staring so at I think we just cancel recess? Like, I'm trying to understand. So, because so, of the timing, because so, it happens at the end of the school day, There's all the dismissals happen well, at three during the time of the total eclipse. Like, between 2 and 3.15. But it's been considered, right? It comes from TDSB. It comes from other school boards. That, and so now our school board is like, oh, should we do that so too? So one other thing before you no, get fully ahead. into no, this, no, no, because... You're, you're fully engaged as a parent. Um, we're talking about just the looking at it point of view, so the liability, I presume, is you know they're on site, they're walking out of school, on our property, look up, Johnny goes blind, <laughs> yeah. and now... But the sun's not on the property. <laughs> <laughs> parents are you can look up more. every day and blind yourself in the sun. <laughs> right? Uh, the second one that they actually mentioned in Toronto was it's going to be pitch black when these kids get out of school because of the eclipse. What if they go to cross a street yeah. and a car just, boom, hits one of them? Are we at fault because we put them out during the middle of the night, day, darkness, can't, eclipse? Can't they just, the night, day, darkness, eclipse. Can't they, just say, can't they just say we're using this as an excuse to get a day off? Like, fuck, shut up. Well, they actually <laughs> tried to move the PA day up so that there wasn't any Hell loss yeah. of time. Contractual union issues wouldn't allow for that to occur. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. so they had to get the half day. So of the various options, there was we can we can swap. Uh, this is my understanding of it. It's not like I was in the room, but the, I think the, they could swap the PA day. So there was a PA day at the end of April, April and they, they were just going to switch it to April eighth, which is a Monday. They were going to they were going to swap the days, or they could just call it like Eclipse Day. Like a fog day or a snow day, like it's eclipse day, and we just stay home. Like, fine, it's a weather event. Solar weather event. Or you can do the thing that we did, where you take a piece of paper and you yeah, put a pinhole in, and you'll stare up at the sky. Yeah, why not use Why not use it as a learning experience sure, right. sure. in an education system? <laughs> or that's a crazy. Concept. Or let the parents decide. Send a note home with the kids yeah. if oh, your child is too stupid <laughs> to not look at the sun keep them home but, maybe but your kid's be, not a, supposed to not be blind the rest of his life he's that dumb it could be a learning experience I think I want to say the last time there was an eclipse when I was in grade school yeah. we all we, went outside we did have we, but they taught us how to do the cameras and everything but that that eclipse happened at like 1230 
I think it's the timing of when this spans that they, they actually couldn't even turn it into an educational experience. The funny thing to me is like, teachers have to stay at school for the full day because they've only done like a half day thing. And the fact that they've canceled uh, transportation, it's like of all of the options, just stranding kids at the middle of the day. I'm like, <laughs> what happens? What happens if they have run home? John, this is going to disappear. School? What happens if they need like for the number of people who are just going to be able to keep their kids home from school that day? Now we have this hodgepodge mess of like some kids in school, some kids I didn't getting know picked that the up. Teachers had to stay having, too. The teachers like, what if they have, have kids? Well, yes. Like, what if right. they have kids? Exactly. What if the teachers look at the sun? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's exactly. Well, they what's put out a happen. statement: "Don't look at the sun." I guess yeah. that's all I can do for teachers. The rest is in their hands. So, this Mr. Is Smith, come here! Come look out the window! <laughs> oh no! See, this it's is like a kids in the hall sketch. This is why I don't want to pay more taxes because these are the morons who are spending my money. Hey, hey this is provincial spending. That's it's still my taxes. Totally I, yeah, again, I thought that this was going to be a really good story that kids were going to be able to experience science, and of course, no, no, it's it went just completely down the moron hole. We don't want any of that. Stupidest thing that it could have been. So for your consideration, (laughs) go outside... Look up at the sun. <laughs> See what happens. Don't don't, don't suggest look that. Up at the sun. No, 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 don't don't do the it. The opposite of that. Yeah, I don't know. Just let us know. Maybe it's fun. <laughs> is this a, is Maybe. This, let your pets look at I the sun. I nominate John. John, go yeah. up and take a look and let us know what happens. Isn't like this is like that Louis C.K. skit where he says, you know, we're dealing with peanut allergies. The new thing. If we all do this for a year, it'll just go away. We'll never have to deal with again. <laughs> can't be the note that we end this show on, If your please. kid can die by touching a peanut, maybe he's supposed to die. That's just the way it works. Well, folks, thanks. <laughs> this has been Lucy Politics, February 3rd. I'd like to reiterate that was a Louis C.K. stint. That is oh, not Oh, yeah, gone. no, I was quoting a terrible comedy yeah. sketch. It wasn't it's my terrible. Hilarious. I was taking the opportunity right. to say something horrible. Yeah. Don't blame me. I tried to do the outro. Kill this show off, John, please. <laughs> please, quickly. Before I kill more kids. Rose City Politics. It was February 3rd. Full panel, Doug Sartori, Don Mary. Field Jr., Frazier Fathers, Kristen Siapas, myself, John Lidke. I don't know. After that hour, head to patreon.com slash politics if you want. I'm not going to do a hard sell on it. Pick up a biz X. <laughs> politics also broadcast live on tape thanks to the kind support of Luna 625 building better communities. Uh, we'll find out if there's a transit strike next week. Go look at that sun.